Hello and welcome to the Left Field Shout. My name is Joe Greenwood. Hope you're all doing well this week. I hope you had all all had a very nice Christmas and New Year. I myself had a very pleasant one. Um, and I had a very good 2014. I don't know, okay, 2014. Um, I think we can all agree, no matter what, 2014 was a good year for films. Uh, it sure was, in my opinion. Which is particularly impressive considering 2013 was so brilliant. You had such fantastic films as uh, Blue is the Warmest Colour and uh, Act of Killing. And, um, you know, uh, Only God Forgives and Francis Ha and The Great Beauty all came out last year and were all quite fantastic. And I think this year, a lot of ways, it sort of surpassed those that year. There's been some truly groundbreaking films in a lot of ways. Um, as you can see from the title of this episode, this is my end-of-year wrap-up list, where I go over the films that are my favourite of this year. Uh, I'll take you behind the curtain a little bit to tell you about my list. Um, it originally started at 10, uh, and then I struggled to get all the films I wanted to talk about into there. I tried cheating by having double bills and triple bills. Uh, and it still wasn't enough, so I, exp uh, I expanded it to 15. And that still wasn't enough. And so I got it to 20 uh, in the end. So this is my top 20 of 2014, uh, which you're all probably rolling your eyes at how indulgent that all is. And all I can say is, I don't care. This is my list. <laughs> I get to do what I want with it. Um, there's also, so I tell you, there are some notable omissions from the list. Uh, films that were originally on there that I took off the list. Probably three of the most talked about films of this year. Those three being Interstellar, which was on there. Uh, Gone Girl, which I actually reevaluated and came to enjoy a lot more and understand a lot more a second time round. And possibly most shockingly, Boyhood is not on my list either. Um, the reason why I had those films on the list and then took them off was because I felt like I couldn't really add anything to the discussion about them that I haven't already spoken about either on here or on Twitter. And also I felt like I wanted to give praise to films that were perhaps not as well seen or in the case of a couple of them, I actually enjoyed more than Boyhood, Gone Girl, and Interstellar. I decided to take them off um, because, really, I think those films are more deserving of being on the prestigious <laughs> Joe Greenwood end-of-year list of 2014. And, you know, perhaps me talking about them will get you to seek them out, uh, either on Blu-ray or DVD or VOD, or even when they come out in cinema. Some of them haven't even come out in cinema yet. So, yeah, enough of this. And let's get straight into it and go into my list of 2014. Let's start how we mean to continue at number 20 with Jean-Luc Godard's Goodbye to Language 3D. 
Um, to say that this is a hit and miss film would be an understatement, um, but it is one that absolutely dazzled me. Uh, it's the first 3D film where I've actually felt like the 3D was justified. Even Gravity, I felt like, could have been spectacular in 2D. Um, I just thought that what he was doing with it was really kind of revolutionary, and I, th I just found it to be that, really, if you want to do 3D, just let the old masters work it in, let them do something really abstract with it. I mean, plot-wise, there's really nothing much to talk about, and it's actually kind of irritating in a lot of ways. But... Um, in terms of his use of technology, I was just flabbergasted. I thought it was just brilliant. And, um, yeah, it really is a film that you have to see on the big screen and in 3D, which, sadly, is going to be quite difficult now. So look out for it at rep screenings uh, of it. Uh, I hope it has a life past the couple screenings that it had. At 19 is Blind by Eskil Bolt, I think is how you say his name. He was the writer of the Joachim Trier films uh, Reprise and the stunning uh, Oslo August 31st. This is his directorial debut about a woman who goes blind and to take control of that uh, creates this world that she controls the characters that seem to I actually interact with, that seem to be real, and it's almost as if she's this uh, omnipotent, godlike character, and where she controls their their lives. And there's, she seems to have this pretty strong effect on what actually happens to them. Um, it's a really quite brilliant film in terms of it's actually just a film about storytelling and the details of storytelling, as well as a look at a disintegrating marriage um, a very very impressive film uh, 18 is a musical about mental illness um, that would be Lenny Abraham's Frank with Michael Fassbender um, where he plays a Frank Sidebottom style musician in that he makes pop music but he wears a big paper, paper mache head so you can't see his face. Uh, as I said, it is a film that is on the surface a musical, but is ultimately about mental health. And it's just done with such a delicate touch and really is a heartwarming film in a lot of ways. Um, despite the fact it is bleak at times, very, very bleak. Um, and I just thought it was really quite... Um, spectacular fast is brilliant in it number 17 now this is probably the longest film on this list in fact I can confirm it is the longest film on this list by quite a distance it is although actually not that much of a distance we'll get to that in a bit but yes my number 17 film is Love Diaz's near five hour naught the end of history film about uh, descent and um, 
trying to gain a foothold in a place that doesn't want you to have any power. It's it's a quite remarkable film. As I said, it's a very long film, so Diaz does get a lot in there, but he doesn't. It's not the case that it's a quick film where there's lots of dialogue snapping back and forth. It's a very slow film, but it feels like with each step that you see the characters taking, you literally do see each step they take. You see them growing as a person and it's about this sort of um i guess maybe if you have to sort of indulge in not indulge but i guess uh rely on evil to conquer evil i presume or i think um and talking of evil we'll get to our, my number 16 film um the film which i think it's probably one of the most unique <laughs> on this list uh, is uh, Denis Villeneuve's Enemy, where Jake Gyllenhaal plays two roles. He plays a professor who finds out he has a doppelganger who's an actor. And it's about the push-pull between those two and to try and figure out maybe one of them's lying, maybe one of them isn't real. And it's just this absolutely dark as nights <laughs> look into male psyche and what we're willing to indulge in um, I think Villeneuve is he's done this two films in a row now with Prisoners his previous film where we just see the violence that men are capable of it kind of feels like at times Villeneuve is almost indulging in in a is therapy, I guess. It's a really quite um, bleak, <laughs> uh, bleak look down the rabbit hole, which is him. Um, it's also very impressive. It's so beautiful as well. It's actually quite an ugly film in a lot of ways because he shoots Toronto in this sort of like piss yellow um, tinge, uh, which is quite sickly at times, but. Uh, I think that's, I guess that's the point of it. It is supposed to be quite sickly. This is These are some sick men who uh, need to be judged in a lot of ways. And then also they do get this sort of hint of sympathy at times towards the end of the film, where it's almost as if Villeneuve is telling you that they can't help it. This is the way they are. Number 15. Now this is where Interstellar was on my list. A near $200 million film. And I've slightly cheated with my 15 because it's actually two films, but it's from the same director. Uh, director being Josephine Decker. And she had two films that came out this year. Uh, one of which is called Butter on the Latch, and the other being Thou Wast Mild and Lovely. What do you want to do to her? She's just lying there half dead. One morning, one morning, one morning in May. I overheard a merry man <laughs> to a young girl saying, Go dress you up, pretty Katie, and come along with me across the blue mountains to the island. Uh, Decker is a performance artist who's uh, only recently gotten into filmmaking. These are her first two films 
Uh, she's previously worked with Joe Swanberg as an actress, um, I believe, in a film called Uncle Kent, a film that I'm not a huge fan of. Here she sort of takes that sort of explicit content that Swanberg dealt with in his earlier films and gives them a slightly more sweaty and feminine touch. Uh, she's really, it's really quite skillfully done, and it's sort of the films are about. Um, the potential mental anguish from uh, from indulging in our sexual desires. Uh, they work brilliantly as a pairing. Uh, I watched Butter on the Latch first, and then Thou Wast Mild and Lovely. Um, and I, th- it's, it's a, two Im- immensely impressive films. Um, even just formally, there's a shot in Thou Wast Mild and Lovely, which is a POV shot of a cow. Um, I thought it was just an immensely impressive, two immensely impressive films. Um, one's with Butt on the Latch dealing with a sort of this woman's slow breakdown as she flees from New York into the countryside to try and get herself together and then realises that perhaps it's not her environment that is the cause of her anguish. And There Was Mild and Lovely is about a woman uh indulging in her sexual desires and the control that she manages to get from that. Very, very impressive films. Number 14 on my list will be, it is, the best Iranian vampire western I've seen this year, and that is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the directorial debut from Anna Lily Amapur. Um really quite a stunning stunning film much like how Thou Was Mild and Lovely shows the control that a woman a woman can have over a man by just indulging in something that she wants to do this is about how a woman manages to gain control and make make the best of a terrible situation that a man has put her into that being making her a vampire um very very cool in a lot of ways cool in being cool uh, and cool as in cold um <laughs> film uh, also a very sexy film in a lot of ways it's just a very very impressive film i i don't want to give the, with all of these films i'm trying not to give much away because i know that a lot of them some people won't have seen but with this you really have to go in cold to it it's just so like it's so unnerving it makes me actually felt me made me feel very ill at times i just found it to be yet again another very impressive debut um there's a couple on this list i've just realized that are all debuts uh and i've i've just I, i was kind of cooing about this film when i saw it to people that would listen um uh hopefully it gets a release here soon and 13 i've only only just realized this as i get to it but i realized that 13 is also a vampire film <laughs> um it's totally isn't done by design but it's jim jarmusch's only lovers left alive
Adam, you think we could hear some of your new stuff? Now's not a good time. Seems like a great time. We're all here, you know? Yeah, I got you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> getting excited. Me too. Adam. Adam. Could I have that flask back, please? Um, a film that I saw actually in December of 2013 um, but came out this year I actually don't know why I didn't put it on last year's list to be honest um, oh well film follows Adam and Eve as played by Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton respectively two century old vampires um, who then have to deal with the repercussions of Eve's cousin is it her cousin no her niece um who is also a vampire turning up and kind of ruining things for them adam makes music which is underground and you know doesn't get released and he kind of does it for his own pleasures um he also fetishizes uh guitars uh constantly adding to his collection of them and eve with her vast knowledge of books uh, constantly quoting from Shelley and Byron um, it does feel like at times um, like a 16 year old goth has written this but I kind of guess that's the point of it, it's supposed to be about the fact that no matter how old you are, as long as you're in love with someone you kind of always get that sort of like teenage twangs to it number 12 is a film which, for me, was quite a personal one. Um, it's the Darden Brothers films, film, <laughs> uh, Two Days, One Night. Um, I s uh, <laughs> it uh, follows a woman who has had a mental breakdown and is going to lose her job. She works at a solar panel company where... The employees have been told you have to take a vote. You can vote to have her back, or you can have a bonus of 1,000 euros. And at the start of the film, you find out they've all voted for her to have the bonus. And uh, what we then see is her over a weekend going to all of the employees, begging for her to change the vote. And this it's actually the first sort of Darden Brothers films which actually feels like it has a clear structure. It's actually kind of built like a video game in a lot of ways, how you sort of have to build your way up to the big boss of the film. And we see her struggling with her mental health and struggling through it by taking antidepressants and drugs and um, kind of abusing herself in a lot of ways, mentally and actually physically at times. Uh, Cotillard delivers, delivers a stunning central performance at the heart of it and there's a real sort of driving force behind it. Um, it's a personal one for me because um, I saw that film at about like a two o'clock in the afternoon screening at the Picture House in Exeter. And that morning I'd gone to the doctors to finally give in to the fact that I myself was depressed and that I, it, I needed help. <laughs> and that... Um, I, you know, I needed, I couldn't do it on my own anymore. 
uh, which is the same place that this character is in. She realizes she can't just do this all on her own and that she needs to find a way out of it. the cinema with my antidepressants in my bag <laughs> going to see a film about a woman struggling with a mental breakdown probably not the best idea on the surface but when you reach the final scene and uh, you realize she realizes sorry that maybe it's not about what the end result is but perhaps it's more about the feeling that you get from it and about the strength these obstacles that are in front of you can give you. Even if you fail, the fact that you even attempted it in the first place is enough of a reason to keep going. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> number 12 choice. Uh, number 11 on my list. This is actually where Gone Girl was on my list. <coughs> Excuse me. So instead of Gone Girl, at number 11 I have uh, When Evening Falls in Bucharest or Metabolism. A quite brilliant made-for-Hungarian TV film uh, about a director and actress um, working on a film and sort of the weekend in between or the time in between um, when they're actually filming about the relationship that, that they develop. And it's really interesting to see a mentor-student relationship done in this way. It's kind of, there's this constant push-pull between them and they're constantly trying to get the upper hand on them. And you feel like throughout the film that he's manipulating her to try and get the performance that he needs to get what he wants. You feel like he's sort of abusing her in a lot of ways, in the same way that you feel like she's abusing him so that she can get the best possible performance she can get from herself. And it's about that sort of creative push-pull between two people and how far they're willing to push each other for their own personal gains. And then an, underneath it all, you kind of get the impression that they, where they're stressed out by it, that they also enjoy it and they need it as well. 
Um, so that's a film that I highly recommend you seeking out. It's a really intense and unnerving film at times. Uh, and also kind of beautiful <laughs> as well. I highly recommend it. Uh, when an Evening Falls in Bucharest or Metabolism. That's my number 11 film. And that concludes the first 10 films uh, of my 2014 list. Nothing specific. Do you mind if I... What? Sit up. It's strong enough to support us both? Well, I hope. Now, let's swing a little. You seem all tense. Motion relaxes people. It's like a cradle. A cradle relaxes a baby. Okay, let's take a small break from my top 20 of the year and go into a different top 10, which is my top 10 discoveries of 2014. Um, I'll sort of quickly go through these. These are all films that I either sort of saw either online, um, a couple I actually watched on YouTube, one I watched on Vimeo or Hulu. Um, actually, Fandor is another one. I highly recommend Fandor. Uh, that's a great website that's worth your money. Or at a rep screening that um, I went to, normally at the BFI. Um, but these are my top ten discoveries. And straight away I've already cheated with a double bill of Eli Kazan's Baby Doll and Jack Garfine's Something Wild. Uh, both of which star Carol Baker in two huge and brilliant central performances. Uh, just really brilliant film and I, films and I recommend you seeking them both out I also have Climates the Nuri Bilger Jayland film which just for the final three scenes alone is one of the best films I've, I think I've actually ever seen the last couple, uh, the last 15 minutes probably the best 15 minutes I've seen in a film in, I actually think sometimes ever, I just think it's incredible uh, next is Girl Walk All Day which is a Vimeo film, actually. It's done in 12 parts. I'll post a link underneath the episode. It's a musical. Um, don't let that put you off. Um, I know a lot of people hate musicals. I love musicals. But it's quite brilliant. Next is Lonesome from 1926, which is a really quite stunning silent film. I, I highly recommend that as well. There's also... Uh, what else is on this list? Um, oh, Imamura's Profound Desires of the Gods. Yet again... Brilliant, brilliant film. Uh, Clean Slate as well. That's also a fantastic film that I saw on uh, Hulu. I highly recommend that. Then there's also Goddard's King Lear, which has Molly Ringwald and Woody Allen in it, which is, it was an interesting one, i got to say, and I, I really did appreciate what he was doing with that. I'm actually surprised that I have two lists for 2014 that have Goddard films on it, to be honest, because I'm not his biggest fan, for the most part. Uh, there's also The Horse uh, Thief, which is a brilliant Chinese film from the 90s. Um, really quite spectacular um, film. I actually think, if I remember correctly, uh, Martin Scorsese said that's the best film of the 90s. Not just of one year of the 90s, but the whole decade. And the 90s, for me, is perhaps the best decade for all of cinema. Uh, so, yes, qu 
quite the statement. There's also Punishment Park, the film from Peter Watkins. Um, sort of documentary style take on a police brutality, um, which is highly recommended. It's Peter Watkins, someone that I'm going to try and get into over the next year. I really want to watch Edvard Munch. I think that looks quite brilliant. Apparently very good. Uh, and then lastly is Hirokazu Koryeda's Nobody Knows, which I think I can safely say is the saddest film I've ever seen. It's just killed me. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, if I talk about it for too long, I will actually start crying. <laughs> so I'm going to refrain from doing that. Um, and having seen his film Like Father, Like Son last year, and leaving that film just a mess, an emotional mess, I just thought he wouldn't be able to do it to me again. Um, and then I saw this, and I just, he just surpassed that. Really unbelievably potent film. So yeah, those are my top ten discoveries. Technically eleven, but you know, I, I thought I'd put in a Carol Baker double bill because big fan of Carol Baker over here. Who's yeah, again a discovery for me this year. Um, so yeah, th those are my discoveries of 2014. Okay, let's press on into my top 10 films of 2014. I'm going to kick off with a quite maligned film from its production company, from the company that distributed it, but has slowly over time built up quite the critical backing, and that's James Gray's The Immigrant. Um, a film, yet again, with another Marion Cotillard performance at the heart of it, which destroyed me. This is a film about the unsaid. This is a film about, of course, the immigrant experience on, on the heart of it, at the, at the surface level. Um, but at the heart of it is about what is unsaid between men and women. Cotillard plays this Polish immigrant who comes to Ellis Island in New York, and she kind of gets saved by this guy called Bruno, as played by Joaquin Phoenix who turns out to be a pimp. And there's a great scene um, in it where he tells her what she has to do. And he does it over uh, at a restaurant over both of them eating spaghetti. And that scene is so much about the unsaid between men and women and just the, you know, um, I don't need to tell you what to do, but you have to do this to survive. Um, and it's about these people that are kind of like pulling away from each other in a lot of senses. And then at the end of it, there's this shot, which has been written about quite a lot and spoken about a lot, that just is one of the most amazing things I've actually possibly ever seen in a film, where you have two characters simultaneously walking away from each other, but coming close together, and then moving forward into different paths. And it's just absolutely technically incredible. It's it's quite interesting because there's another character in the film played by Jeremy Renner who's a magician. And that shot is totally a magic trick of a shot. And it's just... 
really, really unbelievable. <laughs> like, I was... The fact that they ended that... The film on that last shot just... Just shocked me. It was an incredible, incredible achievement of a film. Uh, and number nine is The Heart Machine. Um, the debut feature from Zachary Wigon. Wigon? Sorry for butchering your name. Which is about a man that meets a woman online um, and they start, have, start a relationship over Skype. Uh, and she tells him, I'm in Berlin. And he goes, okay. But he starts to suspect that she isn't. That's because she isn't in Berlin. She's actually, they're both in New York. And it's about his search to find her and just the lust that he has to find her, even though he knows that she's lying to him. But what what can he possibly gain from finding her? It could probably ruin their relationship. It could ruin what they built up online, which would have made the last five months of their lives so pointless. There's a shot towards the end of this film which... When I saw it, it actually gave me chills and my jaw dropped. Um, for a film that's so low budget and so so much like a two-hander, but between two people that aren't even in the same room, um, it was quite an achievement. I just thought it was so great. And there was this, you can tell that Bresson is the big influence just through, just through the running time alone. Like, the film's 80 minutes, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Um... Uh, I just, uh, and just this idea of kind of like a semi-sadomasochistic uh, relationship that they go through. Um, and I just thought it was really, really impressive film. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah, again, it's this relationship about the unsaid, or a film about the unsaid, I should say, where it's not about the surface level. And it's this sort of like cat and mouse game that they play with each other. But they don't want to come out and say it. Because of course that would ruin the whole game of it. Number eight on my list is a film that played on the last day at the Cannes Film Festival. And came out of nowhere. And shot people. And ended up winning the best script award at the festival. Even though a lot of people said it should have won the Palme d'Or. And that's Leviathan by Andre... I'm going to butcher this. Zvignetstiv. Jesus Christ, that was awful. Sorry. Leviathan. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Which is about... Which is set in a Russian sort of coastal town. And it's about a man who has to fight the mayor legally over the legality of his house because the mayor wants to demolish it for reasons that are kind of unknown. I think it's so he can build his own house there, because it's an amazing spot that he has it. And it's just about fighting against um, the government and fighting against their sort of overwhelming power, and then ultimately losing. That you can never fight them and win. That you can never, ever beat this, almost a tumour on society. I'll move on to my number seven, which is actually where Boyhood was on my list. But I decided to take it out because I thought, what can I really say about Boyhood if it's my number seven film of the year? I've already spoken about it. I think it's an amazing film. It's so beautiful. It's so just stunning. 
It's a stunning, stunning film. It's a great film that will still be talked about in 10 years' time. But I decided to take it out because I wanted to talk about this film. It's a Chinese film by Diao Yinan. Sorry for my pronunciation. At least I made a better job of it than the previous director. <laughs> and it's a film called Black Coal Thin Ice. <laughs> And it's a serial killer movie uh, where we follow two cops investigating a series of murders that ruin their careers. And it's about what they then do when the killings start to start up again. Yet again, it's another film about ugly male desire and what we're willing to put ourselves through to kind of um, get what we want and get closure. That's another thing about this. This is a film very much about closure and what we're willing to do to get to it. Reminded me a lot of Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, which um, again is a serial killer cop movie about closure and our inability to get it. And so we had a couple of films about male desires, we had a couple of films about female desires, and that's what we're going back to now. Although not really female desires, more alien desires. Um, number six, which is Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. sequences I wanted to talk about in particular first of which is the first couple minutes where you see an eye forming and you see the sort of creation of a being but not from the natural point of view you'd normally think you'd build up from something else maybe the brain but the fact they build up from the eye is very symbolic obviously this is a film about looking looking for something different looking for something that you can take. Then there's a scene about 20 minutes into the film which deeply, deeply upset me. Um, It's a scene on a beach where there's a child crying um, with Scarlett Johansson. The tide is coming in and there's this baby crying. Scarlett Johansson is disposing of these bodies. And she doesn't go over to the baby, she just ignores it. And she just leaves it crying there. And I was just absolutely amazed that Jonathan Glazer went that far and did that scene. 
I think if it was me, I would have probably chickened out and have done the humanist thing. But the problem is that the film isn't humanist. It's not anything. It's cold and it's ugly, which is the truth of it. That is the true moment of that film. Number five, yeah, again, another topic, going back to a topic that I've spoken about, about ugly men. This time it's about two ugly men trying to destroy women who are more than capable of looking after themselves and are actually whole human beings, and that's Alex Ross Perry's Listen Up, Philip. I've spoken about it, of course, on the podcast before when I had Charles Oliver on to talk about Listen Up, Philip and Alex Ross Perry's previous film, The Colour Wheel. Uh, I thought this is just a really brilliant film, and I actually think it's the pinnacle of the current uh, American indie movement. Shot on 16mm, so you get that sort of Cassavetes feel to it. And I just found it to be this really intoxicating film in a lot of ways, because you have these men that are kind of indulging in what they believe to be the righteous path and to be what they think is true. Um only to find that when they try to do that thing of destroying something so that they can say that they conquered it, namely these women in the film, they can't do it. And then they have these childish reactions to it where then they just try and burn it all down. Um, Which brings me on to my next film, number four, the Palm Door winning Winter Sleep from Nuri Bilga Jalan. Which t- which uh, has a lot in common with Listen Up, Philip, in that it is about a disgusting, ugly man trying to destroy the relationships around him. But instead of a sort of triptych, which is what Listen Up Philip is, it's a very much a dense and heavy chamber piece of a film. This sort of the world caving in on itself and crushing in your perspective of it. Let's move on to my number three film, which I think a lot of people, when I said that I've seen it, may have taken the bet that this would would have been my number one film of the year. But it isn't. It's my number three. To be honest, I'd say number from number six up to number two, they're all interchangeable. My number one is kind of set in stone. But my number three film of the year is Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice, which is, yet again, another film about men and women having conversations, which is about everything that's under the surface. People have said that this is a difficult film to follow but I, I kind of don't think that's really the case it, it does wrap itself up neatly it is a very surreal and funny film i feel like I, you know paul thomas anderson's talked about this being influenced by airplane which i don't think is right in a lot of ways in that it, well it's right in that you kind of get this wacky tone at times but it's not as laugh out loud funny as that it's actually quite a sad and melancholy film in a lot of ways about you know, because it's set in 1917, it's about this guy 
called Dark Sportello, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is trying to investigate this company called Golden Fang, which turns out is supposedly selling heroin to junkies and then is making money off that by then selling the junkies new teeth. So it's in a couple industries, and I think it's just about monetizing. The film is about monetizing um, upon what is the central culture at the time, and it's about the feeling of clinging on to something which has gone by. Because also at the heart of this sort of mystery that he's trying to figure out is that he's pining after his, as it's said in the voiceover as done by Joanna Newsom, pining for his ex-old lady. And you see moments of them together, either walking on the beach or there's a really quite excellent moment set to Neil Young's Harvest, I believe is the song, where they're desperately trying to score some weed during a drought. And... Uh, even though it was a difficult moment that they were in and they were stressed out and they needed their fix, it was okay because they had each other. Um, let's move on to my number two, which is Ruben Ostland's Force Majeure. Where do you come from? From Sweden. Sweden, yes. very good. I'll make you the beauty picture together. Come on. One, two, smile, good one. Which is a, uh, a family skiing holiday which goes which starts to fall apart at the seams during a traumatic incident where the mother and father have different points of views of what actually happened. It's about the sort of push-pull between men and women, this time about not what is unsaid, but what is directly said to each other and how we play off one another. The film is shot in this cold, icy, distant style, which um, Ostland kind of really sort of started to develop well with his last film called Play which I recommend you seeking out. Uh, here, it's the tension is just ratcheted up throughout the film, and it's about just sort of men acting like pigs at times, treating their women awfully, uh, and then about how women can... and then about how women can sort of gain some control over it, over the situation that they have and the relationship that they have. Um, you see these men sort of react angrily to women as well, and about how we uh, treat women in instances of stress and uh, confusion, and also about how we react in difficult circumstances, and about the animal reaction that we can have and sort of fight or flight it's, a, it's an absolute knockout of a film and Ostland he to ratchet up the tension shoots the whole thing in these very long static takes where very rarely the camera moves um, 
it moves slightly if there's like an ever so slight pen or zoom where he almost just he's not almost, he's not encroaching on them but he's just kind of like let's just move let's focus you in that little bit more Oslin has a very strong control of the mise-en-scene as well this uh, hotel is just so bare and uh, designed to the absolute millimeter and it's kind of heartless in a lot of ways and now we get on to my number one I think this one might be obvious to some people I've gone on about it enough I think I've managed to get about 10-15 people to watch it and I think their reactions have been just as strong as mine to it um, it's a film that did the festival circuit last year to kind of like muted acclaim um, people weren't really going crazy about it, it kind of got lost in the mix which is a shame but now it started to have its life, it started to grow uh, and that film is Paul Pavlkovsky's Ida which is by far and away the best film I saw this year Film follows Ida, a woman who is training to become a nun who finds out that she is in fact Jewish and it is about this road trip that she goes on with her aunt to discover more about that and what happened to her parents and her siblings and I'll leave it at that because the journey that you go on on this film is absolutely breathtaking it is Bressonian in a lot of ways in that 79 minutes long it's black and white you know, it's shot in a very static way. The camera's kind of locked off. Uh, unlike Bresson, there's a lot of negative space, which sort of plays with this idea of a godlike character sort of controlling them. And of course, there's a woman of faith, so um, who has to confront these very harsh realities. Uh, the dynamic that she shares with her aunt is really quite touching at times. Obviously, they're not made for each other. The aunt, when you first see her, you actually, Pavlkovsky plays it as if, like, oh, she's a prostitute, but when it actually turns out she's a judge um, who just enjoys drinking and men, and you get the impression that she's filling a void, which, of course, she is, that you later, you later find out that she is. But it's just a film that stayed with me. There's just these numerous moments and shots that are just really quite superb there's a moment where Ida literally and figuratively lets her hair down and it's done in this shot where she looks directly into the camera takes off her her sort of headscarf and lets her hair fall down and it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in a film she, I mean the woman who plays Ida is so striking that you can't help but be mesmerised by her and then the last scene of the film where 
you know, Ida has realised that she's not ready for this. She's not ready to be a nun. And she goes and she kind of figures things out for herself. And then she goes back. But she doesn't go back via, like, bus or train. She walks all the way back. It's obviously killing her. But she's taking her punishment. She's like, I've got to atone for my sins right now. And it's such a stunning film. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's undoubtedly my film of the year. Szabli należącej do Piłsudczyka. Którą oskarżono dziedziczu po dziadku, który był legionistą. Można stwierdzić, iż wraz z tym narzędziem zbrodni oskarżone odziedziczył poglądy antysocjalistyczne. So thank you for listening to the Leftfield Shouts. This has been the best of 2014 uh, list. I hope you appreciated it. Sorry if it ran a bit long, but I had to fit in a lot and. Um, there's a lot of films I wanted to talk about. But yeah, the show will be returning maybe late January, February sort of time. I'm, I'm not going to put a specific time on it. But uh, I think the format's going to change a little bit. It'll be six-episode series. And instead of focusing on new releases, I think I might go more historical. And I think, because I think the idea that I have... And tell me if you like this idea or not. If not, I'll go back to the old format and I'll just do what I was doing. Um, which is what I want to do is I want to focus on a couple different things, which would be directors. So I'll do an episode on a chosen director, uh, eras, um, and genres. Uh, there was one that I was going to do last series before I kind of had to stop doing it briefly. That I was going to do on the American Road movie, um, which I think might be quite an interesting one. Uh, I think the idea with the sort of genre and era ones is to pick a time and just choose ten films from that time and just to talk about them and maybe give the films a greater context and maybe talk about the discussion that the films are actually having with each other. Um, so I think that's part of the idea. Um, so yeah, just tell me what you think. Um, I'll also keep doing listener questions because people seem to enjoy that. Uh, sorry there's no listener questions on this week's episode. I think this one's gone long enough so I don't want to drag it out even th uh, even further thank you for listening and um i hope you saw some good films in 2014 let me know what you saw tell me, tell me what you think you can um send that into uh my twitter which is the piss off and you can send it send in questions or just things your musings to holdfastnetwork.com forward slash ask joe so uh, let me know what you think. And his hope in 2015 is as good as 2014, if not better. Let's strive for that. Let's strive to be better than 2014. Uh, and I'll speak to you soon.